So we're starting a brand new message series this morning. Um, it's, it comes from the book of Proverbs, and it's all about wisdom. And <coughs> it reminded me, in the Bible, there was a man 3,000 years ago, uh, and he prayed uh, because one night he had a dream, and God appeared to him in this dream. So he's talking to God, praying in this dream, and God asks him, he says, ask me anything, and I will give it to you. Wow. That's best dream ever, right? I mean, think about that. God appears to you in a dream and says, whatever you want, I will give it to you. What would you ask for? What would you ask for? Think about that. I mean, there's a lot of things we could ask for, right? I mean, some of us would be showing up next week in a faster car, right? Some of us might have a little bigger house, or some of us, um, maybe some health concerns would be taken care of, or some relationships would be healed. Uh, there are a variety of things. Maybe some of us would have kind of a bigger vision, and, and we'd pray for, or we'd ask for world peace, or for the hungry to be fed, or something like that. Well, this man, Solomon, he asked God for one thing. He asked God for wisdom. Wisdom. It was a great prayer because Solomon was a young man who was entrusted with the leadership of the nation of Israel. He was king of Israel. He had followed his father, David. And he knew that this was a task well beyond his ability, and he would need the Lord's wisdom if he was going to lead this effectively. And so he asked for that. Well, God was so thankful for his request that he gave him wisdom, but not just that. He also gave him great power and wealth and authority, all these kind of things. In fact, during Solomon's reign, it would be the heyday of the nation of Israel. It would be their strongest time ever. The Bible says that in Solomon's reign, silver was so common it was like gravel. So they, that they were doing well. In fact, when Jesus, when Jesus wanted to refer to a guy who had it all, he referred to Solomon. Now, if God refers to you as somebody who has a lot of stuff, that means you have a lot of stuff, right? So Solomon, he had an incredible life, and he had great wisdom to share with us. So this book of Proverbs is a collection of really wisdom sayings of Solomon and also other people that he kind of took and he, and he put these sayings together. And so that's what we will encounter in this book. It's, and it's kind of a unique book in the Bible because it doesn't follow a historical timeline like a story or something like that. It really is a bunch of kind of almost one-off statements uh, it's, it's a great book to read devotionally, a few books a day, because, I mean, sorry, a few, uh, a few verses a day, because you're continually putting God's wisdom into your brain. This series, we're going to talk about how God's wisdom can help us to get right in our relationships, uh, right uh, in our marriage, right in our parenting, right in our friendships. But today, we're going to start off with a message that is really the foundation of all of it. So, I don't like to pick favorites, but this is the central, this is the most important message in this. If you don't grasp today's message, you're really the rest of it, you're missing out. Because this is the solid foundation on, on all, that all the rest of it's built. Today we're going to talk about how to have a right relationship with God. And I strongly believe that this is the foundation of our lives. If you don't get this one right, you're going to be taking just random words of wisdom about other relationships, trying to apply them, but the foundation's not good. It would be like if you bought a bunch of nice building materials to build a house, 
but you didn't put down the right foundation. <laughs> we all know how that works out, right? Not good. Not good. And I don't want your life to look like that. So let's get started here building the right foundation of a right relationship with God. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10 says this. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Say that with me. The fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. The foundation, the beginning, where it all rests. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. Wisdom will multiply your days and add years to your life. Looking around, we've got some wisdom in this room, don't we? Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. If you become wise, you will be the one to benefit. If you scorn wisdom, you will be the one to suffer. A lot of truth there. A lot of truth. First, that the fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. What does that mean? Fear is something we don't typically value, right? We don't say, oh, you should have lots of fear, right? Like, no, you don't want to have fear. Well, when we say those things, we're talking about something more like terror, okay? A paralyzing kind of fear. That's not what we're talking about here. This is a fear that's more of a respect or reverence, that having a deep-seated reverence for the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Maybe some of you remember this. With you. Maybe you had a healthy fear of a, a coach or parent or teacher who you respected, who had your best interest in mind, not who was hurtful to you, but you respected them. That's that kind of thing, just at a larger level. So, uh, for example, there's, uh, I might say that I have a, a fear of traffic, right? Now, I don't mean a terror. I can walk along the road. I can drive on a busy road. You can too. But, but I respect it, right? I'm not going to just go have a little picnic after church out in the middle of Beachmont and Five Mile over there. That's not a good plan. You need to have that fear that sitting in the middle of the road could, well, lead to your demise. So that fear helps us to take healthy steps. The same thing here, or likewise with the Lord, that I respect the Lord as the creator of the universe. And so I respect that his ways are higher than mine. His thoughts are better than my thoughts. And, and so I want to have his wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One, it says, results in good judgment. It's so true. You want to make better decisions? Grow in your relationship with God. Grow in your knowledge of the Lord and his ways. I promise you it will help your decision making. You'll have much more wisdom. Wisdom will multiply your days and add years to your life. We know that's true because every year millions of people die unnecessarily from decisions that were not very wise. The, and, and having that wisdom, it multiplies your days, and it makes our lives better. Likewise, without wisdom, we're the one who suffers. I strongly believe that the pursuit of the Lord, this pursuit of God's wisdom, is the most important pursuit of your life. We pursue lots of stuff. Maybe you're, you're um, climbing the corporate ladder. It's not a bad thing. Maybe you're pursuing a stronger marriage. That's wonderful. Maybe you're pursuing growth in your relationship with your kids or grandkids. Or uh, maybe you're trying to shave some strokes off your golf game. Dandy. These are all good pursuits, but they're not the foundational one. You've got to have the foundational one right. 
This is the most important one. I'll paint in broad strokes here for a minute, but there's really kind of three lenses through which we look at the world. First of all, there's folks who are atheists who say, you know, there is no God. Uh, the world, the, the, the creation that we see, it's not really creation, it's a natural product. Uh, it is the result of, of time, uh, of chance, uh, that you have matter and energy and these things have come together to create what we have now um, by, by chance, if you will. You have uh, agnostics, uh, folks who believe that we're not sure if there's a God, we can't really know, and if there is a God, we can't really know that God, for that God kind of set the world in motion and is off to other things, presumably. It's not, not a personal God who we can know. And third, you have theists, Christians are one of them, who believe that there is a God, and so if there is a God, we ought to know that God, because that God is higher than we are. Humans are not the supreme being in all the universe, and so if we're not, we ought to know what the supreme being thinks and wants us to do. We should consider that and heed that. That's wisdom. For example, if you took a new job and you, let's just say, that you hadn't had the chance to meet the boss yet. You come in on your first day, right? Well, you know there is a boss, so you would ought to get to know the boss and what the boss wants, right? If you go into this job and you live as if there is no boss, I am boss, I will do what I say I will do, you will soon find out there is a boss, and she's not happy with you. <laughs> And you're not going to remain employed very, very long if you continue to act as if there is no boss. Just pretending something doesn't exist doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And we'd ought to, we'd ought to as we look around this world, I believe strongly that there is a God. I really believe that. I think there is so much incredible evidence for this. And, and so that should, that should shape the way that I live. Because for the atheist or agnostic, uh, hear me clearly, it's not saying that they can't be good people because they can do a lot of good things. Sometimes Christians will say, oh, atheists, they, you know, they, they probably would just kill and steal and all this stuff. There's no God. They don't care, right? Oh, no, that's not really accurate because for, for most folks, we figure out that treating others better makes our life better, right? It's simple how to make friends and influence people kind of thinking, right? That just makes sense. So you can, you can live a, a reasonably morally upright life and be an atheist or an agnostic. The problem is you're missing something much deeper. You're missing something so much deeper. I'm not just talking about, friends, how you can be a generally good and moral person. That's only the beginning. I want something much deeper for you. I want for us to have a relationship with God that changes our lives, not just here, but for all of eternity, for all of eternity. You see, if, if, if you're living um, a somewhat morally upright and respectable life without God, I have one simple question for you. What if you're wrong? What if you're wrong about that? What if there actually 
is a God? What if that God actually does care about you? In fact, even revealed himself to us here. What if you're wrong? It's a legit question because if you live as if there is no God, you are taking an incredibly big risk, an incredibly big gamble. If you live as if you're the boss and yet there's a higher boss, you've taken a big gamble. What if this God does care about the way that you live your life? What if that actually matters? I mean, if you're living as if there's no God, you're looking at this world and you're saying, you know, everything we have, it's chance. We were really lucky that, that Earth managed to have this climate that's perfect to sustain human life. And we're, we're really lucky that things have evolved and developed in, in this positive way without the intervention of anybody else out there. That's a lot of faith in chance, you know? It, it really is. I, I mean, to say, to say these things, you're taking a ginormous gamble because if there is a God who created the world, then he is the authority. Not me. Not you. And we really ought to take time to think about what that God calls us to do. I mean, you're looking at an amazingly complicated world and saying that it was made without higher knowledge. That is a lot of faith in chance. Plus, science is really clear that things don't naturally get better in time. They degrade in time. If, if you doubt that, I offer you the irrefu- irrefutable proof of the uh, teenage bedroom. It doesn't get better. Now, that's not my house. I won't say whether or not it could be. I'm just going to move on from the topic. But seriously, to believe there's no God, I think you're also dismissing a massive amount of supernatural evidence. I've seen miracles in my own life, spiritual physical, etc. There's been stories of these generation after generation after generation, how God has revealed himself in, in unexplainable ways. Uh, you're, you're at odds with the belief of the vast majority of humans throughout history who believe that there is someone higher than us, that we, and that this life is not the only thing that there is. You're also dismissing the, the, the significance of the most well-known human who ever lived, the one who we literally re- reset our calendars for, the one whose resurrection has better historical documentation than, than virtually any other event in human history. Are you sure you want to, have you really Have you really done the research to make those decisions and be sure you're right? Because what if you're wrong? What if there is this God and he genuinely cares how you live? It's a risky gamble not to fear God. Now, to to be fair, I, I need to answer the same question. What if I'm wrong? I mean, here, me of all people, somebody who gives my life to talking about this kind of stuff and faith in God and all that, what if, what if I get to the end of my life? Let's just say, imagine with me for a minute, let's say that five minutes before I die, 
I receive irrefutable proof that there is no God. How did that work? I don't know, but I've got the microphone, so you've got to play my game. Sorry, I don't know what to tell you. In my little unexplainable game, uh, I have five minutes to, to know that there, there, was no, there is no God, that five minutes from now it's just going to be lights out for me, and it's all done. What do I think then? What do I think looking back at my life through this completely different lens than the way that I lived? Well, on one hand, I'd have to admit, I wasted a lot of time. <laughs> I did. I talked about a lot of things that I believed to be real that in reality were more of like a psychological crutch kind of thing. I'd have to admit that, right? But I'd have to ask the question, do I regret those things? Because we watch lots of stuff that's not true. You watch TV, you watch movies, we read books, we're all sorts of things like that, right? How did it impact my life? How did this allegedly fictitious belief I had, how did it impact my life? Well, I would say it's been overwhelmingly positive. Just look at a number of areas. Marriage. My faith teaches me that I am to love my wife like Jesus loved the church, as in I would be even willing to give my life for her. That's a big love. What, what does that love exclude? <laughs> what, what can I not, you know, what, what can I, should I not do for my wife that's loving and caring? Well, that, that includes everything, because if you're supposed to be willing to give your life, you don't take out the trash, don't you think? <laughs> Whatever the thing is, I'm a better husband not a perfect husband, but I'm a better husband because of my relationship with Jesus. In fact, many years ago, Jennifer and I went through some really hard times. And we would both tell you we would have walked away from our marriage if it were not for our faith in God. So yeah, I'm thankful for it. I'm a better dad because I'm a follower of Jesus. Because, because my faith teaches me that these kids are not just my own, they're actually a gift from the Lord, and so I'm accountable to God for how I raise them. Now, not perfect, my kids are not perfect either, but I'm striving, striving to be the dad God calls me to be. When I look at finances, I've given away at least 10% throughout my life because God calls me to. I'm not bragging, it's many of you do the exact same thing, and a lot of that money has gone to help the poor and the needy, um, I've had the privilege of getting to go on mission trips and getting all sorts of different things, things like our Project 5000, all these kind of stuff, all these kind of things. The, the world's a better place, I think, because I've lived more generously than if I would have kept it all to myself. At the end of the day, I've been more loving, patient, kind, gentle, been more good than I would have been. I've been more faithful. I've had more self-control. All of these things were things that my belief in this God led to tangible change in my life. So if I got to the end, and somehow it was irrefutably proven to me that I got five minutes left and all that stuff had just been nonsense, I'd have to say, I'll keep it. I would rather have the life that I lived believing that stuff than the alternative if I was living for myself. And hear me clearly. I don't believe that it's fictitious. I don't believe, I believe with all my heart that there is a God, that he loves you, that he created this world, that he gave himself for you and for me, and that, that 
we are accountable for our decision about Jesus, and it has eternal significance. I believe that, that the injustice of these world, this world can be made right throughout all of eternity. I believe that, that there is a heaven and that there is a hell, and that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that nobody comes to the Father but by him. I believe all of it, all of it, and it changes my life. Proverbs 14, 12, those who follow the right path fear the Lord. Those who take the wrong path despise him. Look back in your life. Do you remember some times you were taking the wrong path? What was your relationship with the Lord like? Think about the times you've taken the right path. I have a feeling, if you're anything like me, that those times you were on the right path, you were following the Lord's ways. That I don't think that's just coincidental. I believe that this is worth it. But you know, following the Lord, it's not a tame thing to do, if you will. While it brings eternal security, it also brings immediate risk because God's ways are different than our ways. And God is going to challenge you to live differently than you would have lived. And God's going to challenge you to love in ways you wouldn't have loved and to sacrifice in ways you wouldn't have sacrificed and to care in ways that you wouldn't have cared. It's not a small thing. It's not a small thing, my friends. You're going, to look, you're going to grow in holiness, which means you're going to look more like Jesus and less like your sinful self. I believe all of these things because the fear of the Lord means that God's call will trump my sinful desires. Fearing the Lord means that I remain faithful to Him even when it's not easy. Even when my prayers don't get answered the way that I want. Even when I feel disappointed with God. I fear God not because God gives me everything I want. I fear God because God is God and I am not. And it's so important to understand that. Remember Job? Job was a very holy man who was very materially blessed. He had everything, it seems. And in one day, Job lost it all. His wealth, his health, his kids, his wife, all these things taken like that. It's the worst day for any human in the history of humanity. And Job doesn't know what's going on. It's this great injustice. Job is hurting and he's angry as any of us would be. Job's friends come along. They try to encourage him, but really they often discourage him by telling him it's probably his own fault. At the end of the book, Job has had it. He's tired and angry, and he decides he's going to give God a piece of his mind. Listen to what he says. Verse 35, if only someone would listen to me. Look, I sign my name to my defense. Let the Almighty answer me. Let my accuser write out the charges against me. I would face the accusation proudly. I would wear it like a crown. For, those, for I would tell him exactly what I've done. I would come before him like a prince. Whew. That's not exactly the fear of the Lord. <laughs> Some arrogance in that. And hear me, I'm not saying I would have been any better. I, I can't imagine what it was like to be Job. God responds to Job, though, and it's pretty severe. So I'm just going to read a little bit of it, and then I'm going to summarize the rest of what God said, because it goes on for quite a while. You might read it later today. But it's pretty severe, so buckle up. Job 38. 
Then the Lord answered Job, from the whirlwind. There's your first clue, right? Do you ever answer somebody from a whirlwind? No, because you don't make whirlwinds. Why? Because you're not God, okay? Job receives his answer from the whirlwind. Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man, because I've got some questions for you, and you must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Then God continues, says, Job, where were you when I created the ocean and I told it where to stop and where to start? Where were you when I put the stars in the sky? Where were you when I made the sun? Where were you when I made all the animals? Tell me, Job, was that you? No, I think that was me. I think that was me who did all that stuff. Who are you anyway, Job? Yeah, you don't understand what's happening in your little world right now, but there's a whole lot more out here that you don't get. Verse 2, chapter 40. Do you still want to argue with the Almighty? You are God's critics, but do you, critic, but do you have the answers? Oof. That's tough. That's tough. It's a very real question for us today. And hear me, it doesn't mean that we can't question God. But we need to have that fear of God, that respect of God. Maybe God knows things that you don't know. Maybe God sees a plan that's greater. Have you ever had that happen in life? Have you ever thought you knew it all, and then you look back weeks, months, years, even decades later and say, I did not know it all? (laughs) We've all been there. Listen to how Job responds to this challenge from the Lord. Verse 6, I take back everything I said. And I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. Man, I hope I would be like Job if I encountered that. Here's a guy who is hurt and angry as he really justifiably is. He repents. He sees, even though he doesn't have all the answers. In fact, he had no answers at that moment. He sees simply that God is greater than him. He looks at creation and realizes God is greater. There's more going on here. So maybe I'm not always going to get everything I want. Maybe the answer to every prayer is not always going to be yes. And sometimes I'll understand why and other times I won't. But the fact is I'm going to know that there is a God. It's not me. And that's actually a good thing. So I can fear that God, I can trust that God, I can respect that God, and I want to know that God's will and ways because I recognize that that God's will and ways are better than mine will ever be. So I'm in. I'm in, Jesus. I want you to be the Lord. I want you to be the leader because I recognize that you are so much greater than me. I have that position of humility. Proverbs 14, 27. Fear of the Lord is a life-giving fountain. It offers the escape from the snares of death. It doesn't mean that you won't die here on earth, but it means you won't waste your life. I don't know how many days, weeks, months, years I got left. I hope it's a lot. Same for you. But I know I don't want to live a life that's just sold out for John. I've tried that and it doesn't work well. The fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. And I want you to have that in your life. 
I want you to live a life that is so much more rich and full than you could ever have on your own. So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to invite you to pray with me. Maybe you've never asked Jesus to come into your life. Won't you make that, won't you make today the day that you do that? That you turn your life over to the greatest being in all of creation. The one who is not created, instead who is the creator. The one who is not sin, no, he's the savior. The one who met you when you were lost and hurting. He gave his life for you. That's Jesus. So Jesus, we need you. We confess that sometimes we get a little full of ourselves. Like Job, we don't get it. You're hard to understand sometimes, God. We wish that we understood you better. But Lord, as an act of faith in you, I say, Jesus, come into my heart. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take it all. I don't want to hold anything back. You can have those areas of our lives that we've tried to keep for ourselves, Jesus. I give you my pride, my finances, my family. I give you my work. I give you my stuff. I give you every part, God. Because I want you to be the Lord. I want you to be the leader. I don't want to live a life that's sold out for me, Lord. I want to live a life that's sold out for you. Lord, I pray for the one who's, who's watching from home right now who just doesn't feel any hope. Would you just flood that place with hope right now? I pray for the one wherever they are who hasn't given their life to you. In this moment, Lord, let this be the one Come into my life and save me, Jesus. Forgive me and change me. I pray for the one who knows there's a God, who has said yes to you long ago, but we've been walking our own path. We've been doing what seems wise in our own eyes. Forgive us, Lord. We just want to confess those sins to you right now. Thank you, Jesus, that in your name we are forgiven. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. It's not earned or deserved. It's freely given to you. It's a gift. Thank you, Jesus. And Lord, I just pray finally that you would fill us with your wisdom, a wisdom from on high, a wisdom that's only possible by the power of the Holy Spirit, a wisdom that will change us, that will make us more like you, a wisdom that will make us more loving and caring and kind, a wisdom that will help us to care about the world, a wisdom that would cause us to share our faith, a, a wisdom that would cause us to share our finances, a wisdom that would cause us to pray for those who are in need, a wisdom that would cause us to hold nothing back from you because your ways are best. 
thank you, Jesus. We love you so much. And we pray this all in your holy name. Amen.